Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. We're going to be talking about a passage today that has a theme that everybody uses, and most often than not, it's out of context. But, but what we see here is that we're talking about judging and judge not. Many of you always hear, don't judge me, who are you to judge me? They say, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. They go ahead and quote the King James Version on that. But the thing is, is that judgment and discernment are not the same thing. Judgment and discernment. You see, truth is inseparable from God's character. The truth of the Scripture, our moral compass that is within inside of us, the moral of right and wrong God has set from the beginning of time, and, and his, his Word shows us what that is. So it shows us to call something sin when it's sin. And the thing is, is that for something to be sin, hang with me for a minute, for you to call something sin, what is the criteria of it? What is the criteria of calling something sin? The criteria is this, is that when people do things and act in ways and when we think of things and, and in our lives and we do things that, that are direct competition and direct disobedience to this, that is sin. The term sin is actually an archery term, meaning to miss the mark. We, when we sin, we miss the mark of God's glorious standard. So the thing is, is that If God tells us not to judge, why do we feel qualified to do so? You see, as believers, you and I need to place less emphasis on being God's self-appointed hall monitors and more intent on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because we must be vocal about our faith and our actions must back it up. Now, I'm just curious. Do they still have hall monitors? Do they still do that? Probably not with the the dawning of uh, school resource officers. I think they do a much better job than hall monitors. But for those of you that don't know what a hall monitor is, a hall monitor was one of your peers gets selected to stand out in the hall during classes going back and forth. And they get some type of of ribbon with like a caution tape, like a like a construction vest or something. Some of them even get a badge and a radio. And so they're out there and they're making sure people are not running, make sure people are not chewing gum, make sure there's no PDAs in, in the hallway, go into the bathrooms, make sure people are not smoking in the bathroom. But the thing is, is that it wasn't a teacher, it wasn't an adult, it was one of the peers one of one of the kids would be selected to do that. So some of the kids felt like, it is such an honor to be a hall monitor. It's kind of like when I was in college and I thought being an RA, a resident assistant, would be awesome. Until I became one. And so here you are, you have been selected from your peers to be their judge, so to speak. And you might think that that's a great honor, but I'm telling you, the people that you're you're enforcing the law, and they're not pretty impressed with you at all. And the thing is, is that when we start to judge others, 
When we start to judge others that are just like us, yes, they may come from a different family. They may live in a different area. They may act different than us. They may have different color skin, different color or different sounding language, whatever it may be. But when we start judging other people like hall monitors, what gives us the authority to do that? Because we are just like them, just like the hall monitors of past. When we enforce our rules and judge others and we look past ourselves, that's a terrible testimony. So we're going to look and see what judging means here today in scriptures because too many Christians have appointed themselves hall monitors for God. James is addressing these self-appointed, self-righteous people today in this passage So you and I must know that God does not need our help to judge others. You know that, right? God does not need your help. He can fully handle the job. Judging is a God thing because he set the rules and standards for us to judge by. No one, including you and me, will fully meet God's standards by our own actions. This is the very reason Jesus died. For your sin and mine. So let's jump into our scripture this morning. The first one I want to look at is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 3. And it says we need to know the difference between judgment and discretion. Judgment and discretion. I don't want anyone to leave here today or anybody that's watching by Facebook Live. I don't want anybody to say that the preacher in Holman Park said we should not judge the actions of others. We should not take a stand for what we believe in. We should not take a stand for what the Bible says. I am not saying that. I'm saying we do need to take a stand for Scripture. I'm saying we do need to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. We do need to be able to try to encourage others to follow this. But what I am also saying is that we do not need to be the self-appointed judge and jury for them when we have our own messes we have to clean up. See, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 3, he says, Do not judge others, or, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Don't use this verse with the wrong emphasis. More often than not, people use this verse to tell others to not judge them in their behavior. Normally when someone says, judge not lest you be judged, it means you leave me alone, you be quiet, because I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what they're using that verse for. That is not what the verse was intended for. When they use this verse, they try to silence their critics. They interpret this to mean you don't have the right to tell me that I'm wrong. But this was not the intent of Jesus' words. All actions are not equally moral. Now, here's a big thought. Think about it. All actions are not equally moral. That's the problem we have today is that many years ago, we... Our, our, our culture moved away from absolute truth. God's word is no longer the authority. Now it is public polls. It is Twitter feeds and hashtags. And these are what people are basing their lives on. And the problem is, is that there's a spirit of relativism. You believe what is right for you is right. 
And if they believe what they believe is right for them, it's okay with them, right? Wrong. You can't do that. And so this passage here is addressing the fact is that there is not you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. This is a fact that this is what God's word says is and is not the way to live. And you can, the thing is, is that you can believe you can fly like a bird. This can be your truth. But I can guarantee you, you won't be able to do it. Because truth is inseparable from God's character. It is unwavering and it's unchanging. So we see in this passage, believers are to exercise good judgment. Another term for good judgment is discernment. And when I say good judgment, the emphasis or the the subject of the judgment is not other people. It's yourself. It's me. See, Jesus is trying to give us the right to discern right from wrong. Yes, God has given us his word in the Bible. And in the book, we have our owner manual to life. But judgment must be used to keep ourselves in check with God, not to just oppress and keep down other people. My friend, when you point your finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. And I believe if the church would quit trying to pick out what's wrong with everybody else and confess and repent and own their own sins, it would be a different day in America. It would be a different day in churches. But people don't want to own their stuff. They want to call you out on yours. That's what was happening in the church when James wrote this. Look, we are to judge for ourselves what we should and should not do. And we are to judge for ourselves how we should respond to those around us. Because when when we pass judgment on something, when we discern something is right or wrong, when we discern, eh, I should not do that because God's word said that that is wrong, we are agreeing that God's the authority. We are agreeing that his word is the ultimate authority. And we agree that we don't want to go against that. For example, Calling murder, adultery, stealing as a sin is to pass judgment on those things. What is your authority for calling something murder? Calling something a lie? Calling something a cheat? Calling something adultery? What is your your basis? Is it the hashtags? Is it the opinion polls? Is it the political parties? No, it is God's word that God has laid out before us. And here's the thing. When we focus so much on dealing or calling out the sin of others, we need to understand it's not up to, up to us to deal with the sin of others. God deals with sin. He deals with your sin and he sins with mine. Take, for example, the entire book of Judges. God called up representatives from each tribe. To judge the people and to keep some type of order there. Even today, we have judges. Of, if you've seen the news, you, you would see that judges is a really hot topic right now. These judges are put in place by the government, but ultimately, every judge, every politician, no matter what party they're in, is orchestrated by God's hand, my friend. And it's either to bless us or to judge us or maybe a little bit of both. We need to spend more effort in judging our own actions rather than the actions of others. Superficial judgment is wrong. 
It's hypocritical. And uh, we don't need to be judges of the law. We are not to make ourselves the moral authority over others. We are to be doers of the word. There are so many people that are calling out the sins of others, yet they will not do one thing this word says to do in their own lives. That is hypocritical. That is a terrible stain on the testimony of the church. And if the people that are so quick to call out the sins of others would own their own, again, it would be a different world. Any of y'all have brothers or sisters growing up, you'll, you'll understand this or in school. What is a tattletale? Tattletale. I'm going to tell. Anybody, any of y'all ever got told on by a brother or sister? All right. Now keep your hand up if you told on them. <laughs> we got a room full of tattletales. I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell. Yeah, I know how it goes. But the thing is, is that tattletales love to drop a dime on somebody. They, they love to get somebody in trouble. And folks, God does not call you to be a spiritual tattletale. He, God knows what's going on. Just like if you try to tell on your brother or sister to your parents, they probably already know what happened or have a good idea of what happened already before you even say anything. God doesn't need tattletales. Does God need you to tell him something is wrong? Think about it. Does God need to tell you something, need you to tell him something is wrong? Or do you think he is wanting you to tell that person how he wants you to help them get right? When someone says, don't judge me, rest assured that is not your job. God is more than adequate to judge them. So what do we do? Discern your actions in response to others by judging yourself against God's word. Let that be your testimony for others to see. Folks, it starts at home. It starts at home. The people of the church in James' day had a problem with spending more time building themselves up at the expense of others rather than loving and serving them. And so James addresses this. Look at verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4. It says, if you cannot think of anything nice to say, do not say anything. I'm sure you all have heard that bit of wisdom growing up. If you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. James puts it this way. He says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave you the law, is the judge, and he alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Folks, I cannot emphasize the fact enough that this letter was written, the the book of James, this letter was written to Christians of the church who were behaving badly. They were talking about the fact that Christians were slandering other Christians. They were making false charges and testimonies and misrepresentations. Relationships over slander have been ruined. Businesses have crumbled. Churches have split. And people have been sued over the type of slander that James is talking about here. Remember just a few chapters ago when James was talking about how dangerous someone's tongue can be with the words that they say. 
Folks, remember, we need to love one another, not slander one another. The day you look at someone in your church as an enemy is the day you're going to have a hard problem. Because the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 37 through 40 is you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, the people in the pew in front of you and beside you are your neighbors. I'm your neighbors. We need to evaluate the words that we're going to use before we speak them. Because remember, the words that we use will be used to judge us. Constantly finding fault in others only reveals your own. If you are that person that has self-appointed yourself as the immoral authority, and all you're doing is going around trying to cherry-pick sins of other people, you are revealing faults. In verses 13 through 16, it says, Do not judge your plans apart from God. Now, now I have been bad at this at times, and you may have too, where you say, Oh, God, I've got this great idea. This is what we're going to do. And, oh, by the way, God, I want you to bless this. This is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. God is not impressed with me when I say that. How many times have you said, Well, this is my plan, and then all of a sudden God changes it? I've learned over my life it is probably better to consult God first before I make those plans. Before I read the scripture, I'm going to share this illustration. I know I've shared it before. Some of you may have heard it, but it's the illustration of a kite, a kite that has been personified. The kite is flying and it's having a great time and all of a sudden it thinks, you know what? The view would be so much better if I could go just a little higher. So the kite lets it string out and it goes a little higher and it's, it's waving back and forth in the wind and he loves it and he says, this is good, but I, I'd like to get a little higher where those birds are. So he lets it string out. Then he's up there with the birds, flying with the birds, seeing the, seeing the sign, I mean, seeing the sights and all of that great stuff. And then the kite thinks, you know what? If I could let this thing all the way out, better yet, if I could cut this string, I could reach the heavens. There's no limit for me if I could cut this string. So the kite cuts its string, and then what do you think happens? It falls to the ground. Because the one thing that was tethering that kite was lost, and he fell. And my friend, you and I need to remember, as believers, is that we are tethered to God. And when we soar, it is because not of our selfish ambition, not because of our great plans and our great talents. It's because of what God wants to do and is doing in our life. See, there is a lie of self-confidence. James puts it best in this passage. He says in verse 13, Look here, you who, are, who say, Today or tomorrow we will be going to a certain town and will be staying there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know that your life won't be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It is here a little while. Then it's gone. Isn't it ironic that there was fog this morning and now that the sun has come out, it's gone. Burned off. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants you to do this, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and such boasting is evil. It is not wrong for you to say, 
I have this desire for my career. It is not wrong for you to say, boy, I really would like to get a different job or I'd like our family to do this vacation or I'd like to be here. I'd like to invest this money. Or I'd like to save this. I'd like to, to buy that. Those, I'm not saying those things are wrong. But when you go out and do those things apart from consulting with God first, you are setting yourself up for a fall. And especially our young folks that are in here today. I mean, you are young and you think you have the whole world ahead of you, but we know that that's not the case. No matter what our age is, we need to be tethered to and live to God today. So when we make our plans, they are tethered to him. I would rather have something not work out as great as I thought and be in God's plan than to have something work out great only to crumble later because it wasn't in God's plan. You can plan for the future like this passage says, but just know that God holds the future. Life is short. Don't waste a minute of it. Outside of God's plan, like the fog that was mentioned here, life is here today and gone tomorrow. God's plans for you are for you to prosper. Many of you have heard this passage. It is used almost every graduation service. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you future and a hope. It doesn't say that God's got a plan to give you all sunshines and pansies. It doesn't say that he's giving you an easy road ahead. But he's saying no matter where that road takes you, and no matter what mountains you have to climb, and what valleys you have to go through, that you can have hope that whatever you're going through, it is to benefit you and to benefit others and to glorify God while you're going through it. That's how we have hope in the valleys. That's how we have humbleness on the mountains, humility on the mountains. It's because we know that whether it's good or it's bad, we know that we are depending on God for the results and the actions. Folks, you have no way of knowing what the future holds, but you need to know that God holds the future. If you live for today, each day your death will mark God's plan fulfilled in your life. In other words, if you were to die today, knowing that you have lived according to God's plan, you would know that whatever plan that was, it was fulfilled. Folks, I don't, you know, it's like uh, we're talking about our football players here lately or any sports. As an athlete, back when I used to be an athlete, I would hate to know that I left any effort or I I didn't give some effort and that that I could have done to make the game better. I would hate to know that I didn't leave it all out on the field. I would hate to know that I held back because I was waiting for something better. And as a Christian, I would hate to know that I am holding back what God wants me to do because I want to save it for something else. Folks, every day, we are not promised tomorrow. Today, we live for God, and then tomorrow when you wake up, you have the same choice. The last thing that we see is that doing nothing is just as bad as doing the wrong thing. Doing nothing is just as bad as doing the wrong thing. You may have heard, but Don and I are dealing with the failing health of our parents or her parents. 
And God is proving himself every day in that process. Several weeks ago, Donna's father fell and broke his hip. Years ago, this would have been considered a fatal injury. Now, depending on the health of somebody, some people can get out of hospital the same day or the next day. But he, he's much older than most of you healthy people, and so he had his hip surgery. And while we were trying to decide, if you've ever been a family member, one day you're gonna, your parents are going to be needing someone to make a decision, and they're going to look at you. You're going to be the leader of the family at that point, and they're going to say, what do you want to do with your loved one? And so the doctor says, look, if we don't do anything, the mortality rate is 99.9%. In other words, if you don't fix this, he will die very soon. But if you do fix it, it's somewhere around 50%. So really, there was no choice there, was it? I mean, at least you've got a chance if you fix it. But to do nothing, you can be assured that it will be a fatality. And my friend, I'm telling you what, you can be sure if you do nothing and you allow sin in your life and you allow sin to root in your life. And if we allow sin to overtake this world, it will be fatal. James says it this way. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is sin to know what you ought to do and do not do it. That even goes for the good Christian who said, well, preacher, I'll do it, but I got this and I got that. And excuse after excuse after excuse. And you go ahead and make those excuses because I'm not going to be the one that judges them. And I'm not going to be the one that has to answer for them. You will have to do that because there's two types of sins. There's a sin of commission and the sin of omission. As you notice, you've got the sin of commission. You've got the, the prisoner there. They have committed a sin. They were charged. They were guilty. And they are being punished. When we do things that are wrong, we are committing sin. Sins of commission. But then there are sins of omission. The guy there with his arms crossed. Not wanting to do anything. Not only we are held accountable for what we do, but we are held accountable for the things that we do not do. Too many think that God gives believers a pass on not serving him when they have the best intentions. God, I would, but you know my situation. God, I just don't have the time. God, I know I should, but if this is you, make sure that you have your list of excuses so you can watch them be consumed by the fire of judgment at the great white throne judgment. Do not be fooled. We all will be held accountable for every action and word said and things that we refuse to say and do. So finally, what is James saying to us as good church people? He's saying, don't let poor judgment keep you from living the life God has created you to live. If I could sum up this passage, I would say, get over yourself. Just get over yourself. Quit seeing yourself as better than other people and serve God and make him part of your life. Consult him first. Judge accordingly. Judge yourself before you judge others. 
Judge your plans according to God's will for your life and judge your actions failures to act. Folks, don't complain how bad this world is and judge others while failing to share the answer you have found in Jesus Christ. You are not a judge. God did not write you off. So don't write off someone else. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that we could open it up and and understand, Lord, that you don't want us to be so consumed with judging others that we miss the fact of living right before you. Lord, it is my prayer that as we meet today, that this is a message of encouragement, a message of freedom to know that we don't have to please people. We don't have to we don't have to make people do what we want. All we have to do is own our sin and to be right and holy before you. And when you call us to act, is to act. Folk, God, I can't, I can't boss all of these folks. I can't manage all of these folks. I can only manage myself. And I hope that these folks here see the freedom in that. From mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. Uncles, aunts, extended family members, mentors. You've given us a lot of people to be over. But Lord, the most important person we can be accountable to is ourselves and you. So God, may you set them free today with that. And if there is someone here that has got a hypercritical spirit, may they give that to you today. Confess of that. If there's someone here today that has refused to serve you, even when you've called them and asked them to, may they relent today and say, whatever, God, I will do this. Or maybe there's somebody here today that has been wounded by a self-righteous Christian. May you put salve on their wounds and let them know that that was not you. That was the sin of somebody that was misguided. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the standard. And thank you for keeping us true in a day where truth is very hard to find. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.